It's the Big Baseball Podcast with Kyle and Drew Charters. This is the debut of the Big Baseball Podcast in 2020, looking to make it the best season ever in the Big Ten. I'm Kyle Charters along with Drew Charters. Somehow, Drew, we were not named the best baseball Twitter user of 2019, but there's always this year. Yeah, what is up with that? (laughs) I thought we had a great debut season last year, excited like throughout the whole season, lots of Twitter action. Yeah, we didn't tweet at all between like <laughs> August through Christmas on Shut the Twitter it account. Down. Shut it down. So maybe we <laughs> should do that'll be our 2020 resolution is to to stick on the Twitter. Maybe we can get ourselves named as the best baseball Twitter users. Got a lot of uh, things going on over here. Yeah, what do you have going on? Lots of things. Yeah. That's what I've got lots going of on. Things. Lots of things. Hey, one thing we had going on during the offseason, we got to, man, this was bad. We got to take a little uh, little BP there at Purdue. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, Purdue organized a, uh, as you know, we uh, we do the radio broadcasts uh, for the Boilermakers. And so Purdue organized in September a, uh, a BP batting practice luncheon for media and support staff. Went out and had some uh, tacos there. Uh, some big daddy hacks. At Alexander Field mm. and took some hacks. And man, I'm telling you what. I haven't been that sore in a long, long time. <laughs> the next couple days, and I didn't want to get out of bed. <laughs> you know what? You know, I did okay. You did better than me. Uh, you're a little bit better baseball player than I am. Uh, my problem, though, then this is what I'm blaming. I had no one banging on a trash can for me. <laughs> that's what we needed. I mean, were you well, getting curveballs? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> maybe the that's problem. why you struggled. <laughs> Greg Goff, the new coach at Purdue, was throwing me curveballs. I had nobody over there t- banging on a trash can to. Let me know what was happening. What was funny about that is then well, there was probably, what, 20 or so uh, people who took BP that day yeah. and varying levels of athletic ability. I was playing first base, by the way, and got smoked by a line drive. <laughs> My reaction time, not very good anymore. Not as good as it was when you were uh, 16? Yeah. No. <laughs> not at all. But uh, so we got the golf made up a lineup then afterwards of of the the guys that he thought that should be in his lineup after seeing us take BP. And I was all excited because I'm like, yeah, I'm in there at number nine, you know, second leadoff guy, turn the lineup over. Yeah, he sees he sees my ability out there. <laughs> I look at it a little closer. I'm batting 10th. They snuck you in there. Yeah. They snuck you in there in the rover position. Not even baseball. <laughs> Can't hit me 10th. You got in there, what, at like 6th? 6th or 7th or so, I think. I'll take 6th. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really recall. But the funnest, you know, uh, part of the fun for me there was, uh, you know, playing defense. I, I was never a uh, a great hitter, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, but I, I stood over there at the hot corner all afternoon. I think that's what made me sore. That's a long distance. It's longer than I remember it from third base to, the, to first base <laughs> yeah. over there. It's a little... A little challenging on the arm, and I uh, paid for it the next couple of days. But what a blast! It was a, it was just a, a good afternoon. It was like at noon, you know, in the middle of the week, just taking taking yeah. an afternoon off and uh, going out there and, and having fun. No, it was a lot of fun and a good preview, I think, for the season. We did that way back in the fall. Uh, sort of got us a taste for what was to come in 2020, and it makes us excited to get started with this year. It's right around the corner. Teams across the Midwest and in the country already starting uh, practice. 
uh, for us up here. That's in the cold, though it has been a mild winter, so that has been good. I know some of the teams up here have been outside a little bit for practice, which has been outstanding. All right, so we have a big show for you today in the debut podcast. I'm really excited to talk to Eric Bakich, the National Coach of the Year. Uh, We know what Michigan did last season, taking the Wolverines to within a game of a national championship. I mean, just what a magical run that was last year for his squad. I mean, look, they barely even made the tournament yeah. and had to rally to get there, one of the last four teams in. So we'll talk to back. It's the eighth-year coach of the Wolverines about that run and about baseball in general, about the Big Ten, and then you know preview his team's season as well. So looking forward to that here on the Big Baseball Podcast. But let's get to it for this season a little bit, Drew. There are... You know, I, I feel like as you look at the teams a little bit, this, this has a chance to be maybe the deepest the Big Ten has been, at least during our tenure here over the last decade and a half of watching pretty closely Purdue and Big Ten baseball. But, man, there are four teams, I think, at the top that you really have to sort of focus in on. I think those are Michigan, Ohio State, Minnesota, and, you know, maybe Illinois because, you know, Dan Hartlip has built a program that has now been there, it seems like, year in and year out. But look, Michigan, I think, has got to be the favorite. They do turn over a lot, the Wolverines. You know, no Jordan Brewer, no Jimmy Kerr, Keo Thomas. You know, the two pitchers, obviously, and Tommy Henry and Carl Kaufman both getting drafted. But there are some pieces still there for the Wolverines who played big roles for Michigan during the run last year. And now we'll have to step into even bigger roles this season. Yeah, Jordan Wogu is back for Michigan, who had a huge season in 2019. Uh, and they'll rely on a, a freshman who they like, and Jimmy Obertop. He's a catcher, some DH uh, from St. Louis, who, who will come in for the Wolverines and get some immediate action. But you know, Michigan really put itself on the map last year in making to the College World Series championship game. Uh, not only, you know, helping themselves out, but I think really helping the Big Ten. You know, there was excitement coming into the last season uh, for the entire Big Ten that it could could be the, the deepest uh, it's ever been, and they did end up getting five into the tournament, and, and they'll look for that again this year, uh, you know, as we go through these teams. You know, I think, Drew, another team to look at is Ohio State, and a lot of that has to do with the pitching staff. They were a little bit up and down last season, because of the youth, but now a year older, and I'm mainly talking about Garrett Burhan and Seth Lonsway. Those two guys were so good last year. They get another year of experience this year, and I think really could carry that Buckeye team. And the lineup was good too. You know, you throw Dylan Diggler in there, also the catcher. Uh, perfect game has him as the player of the year in the Big Ten. So I think that's a team that I look at and think that could be competing there at the end as well. Well, they're going to be an interesting team because it all really depends on if if those young freshman pitchers can return to that level of of competition their sophomore season here. Do they go into a sophomore slump or do they repeat what they did in in way and Burhan there? You know, Ohio State loses a big piece in Dom Canzone. Yeah, uh, he, was he did everything, everything throughout the middle or uh, uh, leadoff mm-hmm. in that lineup. Uh, so they lose Canzone, uh, but but Dingler, who was hurt, uh, you know, half of last season, the, the first half of last season, comes back has a solid second half, and now will come into a full healthy 
uh, season for the Buckeyes. And really, if those things happen with the pitching staff, I think they'll be uh, at the top of the Big Ten throughout the season. It's rare that you say that John Anderson's team has had a disappointing year. But I think last year, Minnesota was a little bit disappointing. And now Anderson enters his 38th season in Minneapolis. And I think this team has a chance this year. Look, the pitching should be solid. Max Meyer at the top of that list. But they've got other guys there, too, and potentially a deep bullpen. It was a little bit of a a struggle last year. They had some injuries, you know, maybe weren't as consistent. Uh, The offense wasn't there as much. And they've got some new names now in that lineup that you're going to have to, to look for. Um, and and see if those guys can carry the load a little bit. But at least on the mound, you feel pretty good about where the Gophers are. Yeah, you, uh, you, you know, we talk about sophomore slump with, with Ohio State's Lonsway and Burhan. Who and, knows sophomore yeah. slump better than Minnesota? You know, Max Meyer and Patrick Fredrickson both come out their freshman season and just have, you know, all-American-type seasons. And then last year, they just didn't play as well. They They went into a little bit of a slump. Fredrickson more than Meyer. Uh, but they'll be back, and you know Minnesota obviously hopes that they're the freshman versions of themselves and not the sophomore versions, and, and if they are good, then that should lead that team um, you know, to, to, a, to a good Big Ten season. You know, Meyer, I think, just wore out. I mean, he was DH and pitching yeah. and you know, just got tired toward the end of the season. Fredrickson just got off to a bad start to begin with, and maybe the reality for him is a little bit somewhere in the middle there. I mean, he was just so – he was lights out as a freshman and then struggled last year, so we'll see if he can rebound a little bit this year. Illinois is an interesting team to me because they've been so solid. I, I expect the Illini to be there again, but, man, they have a lot of newcomers this year as well. Yeah, 18 newcomers. They're looking for new guys to be in the starting rotation. They do have Garrett Acton back, who led the Big Ten in saves last season. Uh, as a reliever, uh, I, I would assume he'll stay there in, in that reliever spot. But, uh, you know, the, the the staples of the Illinois defense that have been there for years and Massey and Troike mm-hmm. and, and those guys, they're gone. So it's, it's going to be a new look uh, infield uh, for the Fighting Illini, and we'll see if they can find some pitching to go along with that. But the team it seems to be, as of right now at least, as we start things, is Michigan back in his eighth season at the helm of the Wolverines. And he's really tried to build that program that's been along around, that is, for a, a long time and had some really good success, Try to get it back to that and build it into not only a top 25 program, but, you know, maybe a, a top 10-like mm-hmm. program. Be able to do that, you've got to be able to repeat success. And certainly that is going to be difficult to do at least to the level that the Wolverines did last season. We'll have him coming up on the podcast. Drew, it was uh, it was quite a run by Michigan last year. Look, the Wolverines, we said this on the podcast in the middle of the season. We didn't know what to make of that team because no. it's like they could not be good teams. You know, they, they played teams and, you know, sort of mediocre and, and would lose, and they got in the Big Ten season. You're like, okay, the – you know, the numbers are good. It was almost similar to the year before, you know, when they had won so many games in a row but didn't, you know, didn't really beat anyone, failed to make the NCAA tournament. And they entered that Big Ten tournament in Omaha, and you're thinking, man, if this Michigan team loses two games, it is not going to make the NCAA tournament again. And it almost did lose the two yeah. games and almost didn't make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they uh, lost the first game of the Big Ten tournament to Ohio State, 
And uh, we're up against the ropes against Illinois uh, and, and the best closer in the league in, in, in Garrett Acton. Uh, but Wogu hit a two RBI double. They were down to their last strike in that game. Yeah. So basically one strike away from not even making the Think about that. And Wogu hit that two-run double to give them the victory 5-4 to four over the Illini. They went on after that to win a couple more games in the Big Ten tournament, earned themselves a, a, a two-seed in that, in that NCAA tournament. And, man, they, uh, they, did some, they certainly did some damage. Yeah, I mean, it was a great run and a great story. And, Drew, what I think it does is it boosts the league. I mean, it was yeah. a league last year that got five teams in, Indiana, Michigan, obviously, Nebraska, Illinois, and Ohio State. I think the next step is to start more regularly now getting into some super regionals. And and yeah. maybe, you know, with Michigan and its high-profile run, that just helps to to boost recruiting in other teams and, and for the league in general. I, you can't help but feel like with what Michigan did and with, you know, the, the league, the Big Ten, just getting five teams into the tournament, man, it's it's a huge change from from years ago when it was a one bid league, and you had to win the Big Ten tournament. Even if you had a great regular season, you might not get yourself in unless you you know win that tournament. And now it you know the regular season means so much more. And we'll discuss here in a couple of minutes after the interview about some of the games that that the Big Ten has coming up in the opening weekend. Look, there are what, three teams that go on the road to play true road series against some really quality opponents. And, you know, the Big Ten, I think, trying to up sort of who it plays and the schedules that it's playing and, you know, take advantage of what Michigan did last year to continue to make inroads in the NCAA tournament. No, another offseason storyline, I think, is the new coaches in the league, three of them at Nebraska, at Rutgers, and, of course, at Purdue as well. At Nebraska... Uh, Maresca, that is, Will Bolt takes over. Uh, former Cornhusker player helped uh, take the Cornhuskers to their first two CWS appearances in 01 and 02. An assistant coach several places, including at Texas A&M. Most recently, he takes over a program that Darren Erstad put in a good spot, right? I mean, they were a really deep team last year and have some good pieces again this year. Yeah, that was the surprising coaching change over the offseason as Erstad steps away, uh, citing you know wanting to spend more time with his family. Uh, in Nebraska was, uh, fine last year, uh, you know, in a, in a pretty good spot. They ended up finishing, uh, third in the big 10. They were 15 and nine in the big 10, 32 mm-hmm. and 24 overall. They're the only team, like you talk about the college world series, uh, obviously Michigan, uh, wins and gets to that super regional, uh, Nebraska was the only other team to get an opening day victory in that, yeah. uh, in that, in that, uh, regional, they beat UConn. Uh, but then lost to Oklahoma State and then lost to UConn again, failing to make it to the Super Regional. But, um, yeah, Will Bolt, he it sounds like by by reading some things that uh, he's trying to trying to put some discipline into that team mm-hmm. uh, in Nebraska. Um, and, uh, you know, he's been a guy, you know, part of the Nebraska family, played for Nebraska right. and left uh, and, and went on to be an assistant coach. Uh, for Rob Childress at Texas A&M, who he played for. Rob Childress coached right. at Nebraska when Bolt played. So Nebraska keeps it to the family and hopes that Bolt can continue what Erstad started over there. Rutgers' Steve Owens takes over. He's had a lot of success at smaller college programs, so Rutgers going in a different direction there. 914 victories against 483 losses in his career. 
had five 40-win seasons at smaller programs, 13 NCAA tournament appearances in D1 and D3. You know, he takes over a rebuilding program in Rutgers. It's got a ways to go. You know, they need some facility help there uh, in Piscataway. But look, if you're going to take over a program, you might as well have a good starting pitcher. And Tevin Murray is a pretty good one, a senior lefty. He, You know, they have him at the top of that rotation. At least I assume that's where he'll be. And, you know, thus gives Rutgers an opportunity, you know, every weekend at least to go out there and, and be able to compete with some teams. Yeah, and I think in a guy like Owens... Um, you know, they like what they what they got out of him from leading Bryant to the three NCAA regional appearances. Uh, you know, they were a school when Owens took over that school. They were not even Division One, So he brought them into Division yeah. One and he brought them into relevancy uh, there at Bryant. Uh, he uh, is 19th all time in winning percentage out of all coaches. Uh, so a guy who's been around just forever at smaller competition. Um, but we'll see what he can do at Rutgers. And Purdue with Greg Goff after he spent two years as the volunteer assistant under Mark Wazikowski, of course, has had previous success, you know, at uh, Campbell, at Louisiana Tech. You know, just been the one year at Alabama as well. I don't know what to, you know, we, we get to see Purdue pretty regularly. I don't know what to make of the Boilermakers at all. I mean, they have uh. some pitching uh, depth, the lineup. You know, we'll see. They brought in a whole lot of new guys that are going to have to step into some big roles. I don't know. I, I really don't. Yeah, huge question marks, uh, you know, at Purdue. And it's been a struggle since 2012. You know, it's there's no secret well, they made that the they've... Big Ten, they made the NCAA tournament the one year. Yeah. But, yeah, but well, other than that. Other than that, you know, they, yeah. they've struggled since 2012. Waskowski came in and turned it around. They made the NCAA tournament. Um, uh but, you know, folks around here, at least, you know, we're in West Lafayette. So folks around here are excited about what Greg Goff brings to the program. He was highly recommended by Wazikowski, who left to go to Oregon. Uh, so sort of like the next, you know, guy in line has some head coaching experience and Purdue likes that. Uh, but huge question marks on the on the roster. I think you just don't know what to expect uh, out of the team, uh, you know, in a, from a lineup standpoint, you know, one through nine. Uh, they got some guys coming back, you know, Skylar Hunters, uh, you know, gonna be here. Um Ben Nissel uh, who missed a lot ben of Nissel, last yeah, year. I was like, I'm forgetting I'm forgetting the other <laughs> guy who I was gonna say. Ben Nissel, who was injured last year. That's why yeah. I uh he was slipping my eye in there. But uh, you know, it'll be interesting to follow them this year and uh see what that pitching staff is able to do and how far they're able to take them. Just a couple other teams to mention, I think. You know, Maryland and its offense with Randy Bedner and Maxwell Costas, I, I you know, in a hitter friendly park. Yeah. There, I think they're a team to watch a little bit. Iowa, you know, the Hawkeyes were so banged up last year. Jack Dreyer, the, the starting pitcher, missed much of the season. They had several other guys. I mean, it feels like they, I don't know if their lineup was ever in one piece last season. So, you know, hopefully Rick Heller and company a little bit healthier this year. I think those are a couple other teams. Yeah, Iowa I loses Cole McDonald, but Grant Judkins for them was outstanding last year, and they'll have him back in combination with possibly Dreyer to help carry that pitching staff. We haven't mentioned Indiana a lot. I think Indiana's a team and a program that's that's going to be there in some regard, has you know a lot of pieces to, to fill uh, down there in Bloomington as well. But those are you know some of the ones that I feel like we certainly should be paying attention to as we get uh, ready to go here. All right, this is the Big Baseball Podcast. Our conversation with the Michigan skipper, Eric Backage. That's coming up next. This is a production of 101.7 The Hammer.
This is the Big Baseball Podcast, and happy to have in for our first guest of the year, Eric Backage, the coach of the Michigan Wolverines, entering his eighth season and the national coach of the year as well in 2019 for just, Eric, what was a, a magical run for you guys to the College World Series and taking it to the last game, finishing the runner-up to a great Vanderbilt team. First of all, thanks for coming on. Well, hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And we did it last year, so we got to do it again this year. <laughs> you know, well, that's the that's the question right now. How do you how do you manage the expectation level on a program that, when you took over, was in a pretty good spot, but needed a little bit of of juice, I think, and has made some gradual improvements, and then really taking that huge leap last year. I mean, man, it's 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 hard to do that. It's certainly hard, if not impossible, to do it every year. But now there's a little bit of a, a change in the vibe around the program, I would have to imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to your point, Michigan baseball has been around a long time. You know, We called ourselves Team 153, Blue Crew 153 last year. So we've been playing baseball at Michigan since 1866. So it's been around long before any of us you know, were here, and it'll be around long after we're all gone. Uh, with just some of the legends that have come through, you know, Branch Rickey used to be the coach at Michigan, <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, you could go through all the players uh, in all the great eras uh, that played under Ray Fisher, that played for Don Lund, that played under Moby Benedict and Bill Freehan in the 80s when we had tremendous players in Larkin and, and Sabo and, and Hal Morris and, of course, Jim Abbott and uh, Mike Matheny. And then, you know, the, the, the program has just had, you know, moments and pockets of success. Our, our pitching coach, Chris Fetter, you know, playing on some great teams under Rich Maloney from 2005 to 2008. And so, uh, you know, what we what we talk to our players about is just wanting to add as much value into an already storied program and try to, in the short time that we're here, is just try to try to make as big of a positive impact on the program as we possibly can and and that's really the collective goal of each team is to see how much value you can add to the program and so you know last year's team the page 153 of the michigan baseball history book will be bookmarked forever and Mm -hmm. uh it was great experience for all the returning players to to get out to the college world series and experience baseball at the pinnacle of college baseball and but the the goal is the same this year is to add as much value as we possibly can and now we have we've tasted what the top of the mountain looks like and so now of course everybody's addicted <laughs> and uh we just want to do everything we can to get a little bit better so we can try to be the last team standing this time and so really that whole one more mantra of being just a little bit better 1% better um you know whether it's one more repetition or one more lift or one more you know practice i mean the reality is we were we were one more win away from doing it and so uh we've tried to shrink it down to you know just to each day and each moment be just that much a little bit better uh and compound all of those into uh what hopefully will be a very successful season in 2020 i know you stressed with your team here in the preseason that the celebrations are over and that, you know, 2019 is in the past now and it's it's time to move on. And we'll preview the season here in just a moment. But I wanted to jump back a, a little bit to last year. I thought that the 
the individual stories within your team's stories were impressive. I mean, you know, Jimmy Kerr and his family and, and their history in the College World Series and, and Joe Donovan and, and his family and the tragedy that they endured and, and how you guys celebrated and handled that last year was, was just impressive. And the two starting pitchers who were so good and then got drafted so high. Do you think that the the stories within the stories helped to make you guys just a better team, especially in the second half of last year? Well, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that every story is a critical puzzle piece that forms the whole puzzle. Yeah. And without, without it, without each of those individual stories, the whole puzzle isn't complete. And I thought, I thought that of both Vanderbilt and Michigan, the storylines within both teams, I thought it was so fitting that, you know, the two teams uh, standing, left standing at the end, competing for a national championship, you know, had some of the most unique storylines in college baseball. Obviously, Vanderbilt losing Donnie Everett uh, when he was a freshman, and then that his class, his senior class, uh, winning a national championship. Uh, obviously, we've got a tremendous story of a legacy family like the Kerrs, and then Joe Donovan's tragic loss of his older brother Charlie as well similar to the to the Everett story and then really both teams highlighting the diverse rosters that they had yeah. uh, in a sport where it's just such a uh, a major area of concern and a problem throughout all levels of baseball uh, about how the game is just not reflective of uh of a diverse group it's too white and the sport at the grassroots level is pricing out uh, inner-city kids, or not even inner-city kids, just, just lower-income families because yeah. everybody's you know specializing in, in moving on into travel baseball, and that's expensive, and a lot of kids can't afford it. Um, to see two teams like uh, Vanderbilt and Michigan that have a lot of minority players on their roster and see kids that – you know, are thriving in college baseball uh, and to see Major League Baseball then, you know, pick up those storylines. and It's a parallel uh, joint initiative with not only the commissioner's office but the Players Association as well uh, to really promote diversity within the sport and, and get more inner-city kids and minority players playing baseball. Uh, so, you know, there a lot of storylines. They all contributed to to two very successful teams, but I thought all of them uh, created, you know, you know, really good, really good alternate uh, topics to discuss. Uh, in addition to good baseball, yeah, I think those are all really good points and 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 good to bring to the forefront as well. I think all those things sort of contributed to you guys getting it together. When did you feel last year that? you had something because you know i i watched you guys you know from from afar a little bit saw you a little bit in person but it, you know it felt like you were winning some games um you know you faced some some better competition wouldn't quite be able to get there you had some adversary in terms of of injuries and then all of a sudden at, at one point and maybe you know that point better than i do probably certainly do uh it just all seemed to come together for you and and, and you won the close games and you, you beat the good teams and and really started to rally is there, as you get a chance in the off season to reflect on that, was there a, a point that you felt good about it? Well, the, the, the turning point was obviously the walk-off win against Illinois in the Big Ten tournament. But if we don't have all the adversity and the struggles throughout the year, then 
you know, even it, it doesn't it doesn't culminate the way it does. If we yeah. don't if we don't get our asses kicked in the Dodgertown Classic and at Texas Tech, I mean, we get punched squarely in the jaw in both places. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really good because we got to see what elite level Omaha level baseball looks like, and <clears throat> we got to see what those bullpens look like throwing upper nineties and uh, you know pitching staff like UCLA and Oklahoma State big physical you know so then we go through big 10 play and the big Ten's obviously a good conference um and we lose the conference by a half a game yeah right and um you know it was if we had won the conference outright are we are we as gritty are we as um, you know are, are we able to overcome the you know i don't know i mm-hmm. don't know but losing that conference regular season and just seeing how poorly we were playing, not poorly, it's just how tight we were. Right. You know, we were t- we were extremely tight going into, we were playing not to lose against Indiana and Nebraska the final two weekends of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was exactly what you don't want as a coach. You don't want to see your team be so close and then, you know, literally watch it slip through their fingers. Um, and going into the Big Ten tournament, you know, it was we were feeling even though we had just lost two or three to Indiana and lost two or three to Nebraska, we had the chance to play Ohio State. Anytime Michigan plays Ohio <laughs> State, obviously the the juices are flowing, but we didn't play well again, and we drop a close game, like a two to one, you know, one run game, close game. And you could just sense it. You could sense the the panic and the fear right. in our players. Uh, and so to have that moment of, bam, walk off walk-off win and it was almost it was more a feeling of relief than it was exhilaration but you know once the relief subsided then it was like yeah what are we doing like we're we're, we're wrapped way too tight mm-hmm. we're pressing way too much and so you know the guys you guys started slowly but surely playing better we beat maryland we beat nebraska you know we lose to nebraska in the semifinal game but once we watched that selection show, and even the selection show, we were one of the first brackets to be announced, and it was like, you know, the air, they just completely, they saw they were in, yeah, and they didn't care. I don't even think anyone stayed in the room to see at the end to see that they were one of the last four teams that got in, and right. nor would they care. They just, it was like, oh, thank God they could <laughs> exhale. Yeah. And then I think in any, in any, in college baseball, regionals are so hard to navigate because you don't know who you're playing, at what time you're playing, mm-hmm. how many games you're playing. There's so many uncontrollables there. You know, super regional, you know who you're playing, and you know the times you're playing. The TV schedule is set, and it's it's go time. You can plan your meals. You can plan your sleep schedule. You can plan everything, your workouts. You know, regional is totally up in the air. You're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants, hoping you just stay in the winner's bracket. And for us, for our program to win a regional for the first time since 2008, we, we needed some luck. We yeah. needed, and that luck for us was getting sent to Corvallis and having Oregon State go 0-2 in their regional and us playing in what would have been an extremely hostile environment to an environment that was, you know, like Ray Fisher Stadium on a Tuesday, right? <laughs> it just, yeah. Yeah. we're playing in front of a few hundred people and, you know, it was our home families and yeah. and crowds and Creighton was an incredible team and even then even then we have a three run lead going into the regional championship game and blow it because yeah. we did it to ourselves. 
we self uh, imploded. And then, you know, after that, to see us come back and respond again and get up off the mat, even go down and now what is the true championship, the, win- the losers going home, the winners moving on to UCLA, even in that scenario, to be down in the middle of that game, down four runs in the middle of that game and still come back. You know, that I think all of those experiences, you know, going even into the Super Regional where we, you know, where we, uh, we take that middle game, 12 innings, and, you know, we, we didn't even play well, but just to, just to be able to come back in that game and take it to the extra innings so that their closer couldn't pitch in game three. Like, there's just yeah. so many, mm-hmm. so many little pieces of this that are all intertwined into shaping the story, uh, but they're all connected. And you, you don't really have the next one without the previous one happening the way it did. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah reflecting back, uh, it, you know, the easy finger point to the Big Ten tournament, Jordan Wogus walk-off hit, that was definitely a turnaround piece. But we don't have the season we have unless everything happened the way it happened and all the moments of adversity because it created a, a toughness within our team is the one thing that I am most proud of about them and how they got hot. How they got hot at the end was that they got up every time they got knocked down. Right. And they just refused to stop fighting. And that really was the sign, the signature, the identity of our team was the toughness that we had. And then it, it was it was so much easier to be loose when they know they're, they can just come back at any time and they're never out of it. Mm-hmm. So then it was easy to start playing with a smile on your face. I mean, it's a great thing about baseball, right? And that, you know, watching guys get hot and get on a streak and then when a whole team gets it together at the same time. But also, I just love, and I'm sure you do too, how those things that you said, you know, getting into a team's bullpen the day before and how that, you know, while you might have lost the game, affects the the game that matters today. Or an at-bat that you had a week ago and and you recall something that you saw out of the same pitcher. I mean, I... You know, that's just great. And, and how all those things came together for you uh, just uh, makes for a, a just a fantastic story, uh, no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a magical ride. I feel very fortunate that, you know, the players took me on that ride and took the coaching staff on that yeah. ride. And that's kind of how we felt. We felt like, you know, we kind of got out of the way a little bit, turned it over to uh, a great group of leaders, you know, guys like Jimmy Kerr and and Tommy Henry and, you know, Ben Kaiser. Ben Kaiser's an interesting um, – he's the, he's the epitome of what the book, The Captain's Class, is written about. You know, mm. maybe the unsung hero, the guy that statistically is not your leader, but he's your leader in the clubhouse. And the glue guy that kept the, the team together, he's the guy, and we're very fortunate to have him back for his year this year. Uh, but he's a guy that – you know, just kind of polices the teams, the sheriff, and right. makes sure everything gets done. And, you know, statistically, he was the worst possible matchup against UCLA because uh, UCLA crushes left-handed hitters. <laughs> or, sorry, left-handed pitchers. Yeah. And obviously Ben is a left-handed pitcher. Uh, but there was nobody that we were going to put into the game, game three, the eighth and ninth inning, to go to the World Series. Right. than our leader, than Ben Kaiser. And uh, it was just one of those, you know, one of those moments that, you know, it's just kind of uh, you reflect back on as a coach. And, you know, you, if you, if we had a data team or an analytics team, 
they would have said you got to go with one of the two right-handers who are hot in the bullpen just because of the matchup. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can't measure a guy's character and heart. If you could, then Ben would be off the charts, and uh, and that's why he stayed in the game. And sure enough, he's on the bottom of that dog pile. With Eric Backage here on the Big Baseball Podcast, let's let's talk a little bit about this season, obviously. Uh, you, you guys lose a lot of talent from last year, but when you're building a program, you know, in a program that you want to compete at a high level, you've got other guys that'll be able to, or you hope they will be able to, come in and, and fill some big spots. So do you feel good about this team and, and about the guys that you have left as far as leadership and talent and them stepping into the bigger roles departed by guys like, uh, you know, Jordan Brewer and and Jimmy Kerr and uh, K.O. Thomas and, you know, the two starting pitchers, Tommy Henry and Carl Kaufman. You feel good about those guys stepping up now into the bigger roles? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I feel exactly the same way I felt this time last year. I knew on paper that, you know, we would have a chance to be very competitive and have a very good team, but things were going to have to come together. And uh, I don't think anyone would have predicted that, you know, that uh, that Tommy Henry, Carl Kaufman, and Jeff Criswell were going to throw over a hundred innings each yeah. with uh, with Tommy and Carl combining for two hundred and fifty innings. Um, I don't think anyone would have predicted Jimmy Kerr was going to hit eight or nine postseason home runs to, <laughs> yeah. to really separate our team in the postseason. Uh, but, you know, all those things happened. And I really like some of the foundational pieces we have on this year's team. You know, you got a guy like Jeff Criswell anchoring the weekend rotation. He's got a very strong up-the-middle core of Joe Donovan and Jack Blomgren and Jesse Franklin you know, you got some returning really good players like Jordan Wogu and um, guys like Chris Bullock and Dom Clemente is back this year. And then our entire bullpen returns. You know, yeah. everybody that pitched significant, big moments, high leverage situations last year, you know, they're all back this year. You know, and Ben Kaiser coming back is a critical piece. I mean, you know, that's a guy that pitched sparingly his first three years here and then all of a sudden he breaks a 153 year record and makes the most appearances of any Michigan pitcher ever last year and so having him back in all the high leverage innings that he pitched is huge um so uh yeah I I, I feel good about uh you know some of the key pieces that we have and then much like last year we've got some guys that you know we are uh, hoping that we're developing the right way and, and hoping that they continue to go through the season with a lot of confidence and, and have some breakout years, have some outlier performances. You know, a guy like, you know, you just mentioned when we first started, Riley Bertram, and uh, that was an outlier performance in the regional. You know, yeah. he stepped in in the place of an injury and goes four for four and you ignites our team and sparks our team and now he's ready to, to lock down a middle infield position and have a much bigger role this year um, right away. So, you know, it's guys like that. We still got some position battles on the corners in the infield. Uh, so, yeah, I do, uh, I do think you're going to see uh, some, some key veterans that are going to need to really, um, you know, be consistent and, and lead the team from a consistency standpoint. And then there'll be some new faces that uh, that we're excited, either new as in new to the team or new as in they're taking on a bigger role, a bigger role than they've had in the past. Right. Uh, that that we're looking for to uh, to really add some nice depth. 
how how much do you think your run helps the league? I mean, because when I started, you know, doing play-by-play here at Purdue 15 years ago, the league was one thing. I, you know, when when you became the coach at at Michigan, it, it was a, a, another thing and, and improved eight years ago. But now I think, you know, it's sort of at uh, at another level. I think, and, and you guys ha- have helped to raise the profile. Yeah, I think I think what we did is contributing to something that's already started a while ago. I mean, even go back to when Michigan was really good when Chris Fetter was here, and then all of a sudden Michigan was one of the first schools to redo their stadium mm-hmm. back in 2008, and then that that started a trend of of Big Ten schools starting to slowly invest in their facilities. And I remember when I first got hired within a within a few years. There seemed to be, uh, well, first off, we added Nebraska, we added Maryland, we added, you know, Rutgers, but the addition of Nebraska and Maryland were obviously big additions from just a baseball standpoint. Uh, but at one point I was looking, and it seemed like every school or almost every school had either a brand-new facility or a new coach within the last few years. Yeah, And what – has happened is, is I think these institutions, flagship institutions across the Midwest and in the Big Ten have recognized that, you know, college baseball, there's opportunity for growth and revenue here. If we invest in it, the return on that investment, you know, you, you, you know, it could be something the fans are going to get behind. And, you know, these new coaches and these new facilities are recruiting better players and developing better players. And so all of a sudden the Big Ten has become a major player in the Power Five. You know, the Big Ten used to be just a one-bid league, maybe a two-bid league. And now all of a sudden, you know, the Big Ten's getting four or five bids every single year, it seems like, no less than three. And uh, Indiana goes to the World Series in 2013. You got a, a handful of teams making super regionals then in the, yeah. in the, in the ensuing years with Illinois in 2015 and, um, you know, Maryland and, 2015 and uh, Minnesota in 2018, and I'm sure there's another one in there somewhere. But, so I think the stage has already set. It was teed up for us, and uh, you know, we for us personally as a program, that's what we needed to do. We've kind of been hovering in that top 25 program range for right. a while now since 2015, and for us to to really move the scale and tip the needle, that's exactly we had to go on a magical run. That's exactly what we had to do to become what we felt like is our potential, which is a perennial Omaha caliber program. Yeah. All right. One more and I'll, I'll let you go. So Vanderbilt, uh, February 14th, game four, then you gotta, you gotta even things up, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's uh, I wish it worked like that, but yeah. uh, no, it's, it's great. I mean, we're playing, playing Vanderbilt, playing Cal Poly, playing Arizona state, playing UConn, you know, our first, our entire road schedule for uh, for the first four weekends is uh, is extremely competitive. I mean, it's as yeah. it's as good as it gets. Really, it's uh, it's a lot of top teams, a lot of historically good programs. So you know, win or lose, whatever happens, we're playing another heavy. We're fighting a heavyweight, and uh, there's nothing better than than getting punched square in the face. <laughs> Uh, right out of the gate, you know, and seeing what you got. Uh, and that's that's what we're going to have. We're going to have a massive challenge. I mean, Vanderbilt's number one in one of the polls. Arizona State's number three. 
you know, so we're going into opening weekend uh, competing with the big boys. And I think it'll be a great litmus test of, you know, seeing what we need to improve on moving out of that weekend. And that's what our program is built on, is just growth, just continued improvement, getting better all the time. And, uh, and that's what we want to see. We want to see uh, where our opportunities for growth are coming out of that weekend. So I, all I care about is we go out there and compete our butts off, play as hard as we can. Whatever happens in the scoreboard is going to happen in the scoreboard. But uh, I hope we have some learning experiences from it. That's Eric Backage, the Michigan eighth-year head coach of the National Coach of the Year, taking his team right to that final game in the College World Series last year. Hey, Eric, I'll, I'll be up there in March for the Purdue-Michigan Series. Look forward to seeing you then. Best of luck at the start of the year, and uh, keep the keep the temperatures up if possible, if you can, in Ann Arbor. No, no promises there. But, yeah, great, <laughs> great to be on. Thanks again for having me. All right. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Back with more here in just a moment on the Big Baseball Podcast, a production of 1017, The Hammer. Well, thanks to Eric Backus for being on the program. Excellent conversation with him. Looking forward to see the Wolverines get started. And they, they do so in big fashion. They joked with him game four, basically, against Vanderbilt. On February 14th, as we all get started, that's down at the MLB4 Collegiate Baseball Tournament, uh, Cal Poly in Arizona State. Also there, we'll talk about some of the series and games that we're looking forward to seeing in that first weekend. We do want to mention just that, you know, this podcast today, dropping on a Thursday, our usual will go back to Tuesdays during the season. So uh, we'll get started with that on February 11th, before the first weekend of games, and then hit you up every Tuesday with a new podcast. So be sure to look for those, uh, whichever way that you look for your favorite podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave a comment if you would like to as well, and feel free to tell a friend about us also. All right, Drew, some big uh, true road series for Big Ten teams coming up in that first weekend. Indiana playing at LSU. Rutgers is at Miami. Nebraska playing at Baylor. I mean, those will be some some good series right out of the gate for Big Ten teams that, man, it's chilly up here. You don't always get to go yeah. out there and play on the real grass. Though this year it's been a little bit better, so maybe you know an opportunity for some teams to have done so already. But they're uh, they're taking on some quality opponents right out of the gate. Hey man, you look at IU. IU loses so much uh, from their team last year, and you know there's no more Gorski or Lloyd. Polly Milto's gone. Sal Frank, Andrew Sal Frank, who won Big Ten yeah. Pitcher of the Year, is gone. Yeah, uh, and they've got no you know no chance to sort of figure it out here. They jump right in at LSU for a three game series, uh, so it'll be tough for the Hoosiers there. Uh, and then again, Nebraska, you know, no time to, to figure things out here. New coach. What do we do? Let's go to Baylor. Yeah. Look at Nebraska's schedule yeah. at Baylor at the Tony Gwynn legacy, which they'll play San Diego, San Diego state and Arizona. That's in the next weekend. Yeah. And then at Arizona state. Yeah. They jump right into it. Right. Nine games there that are just. Yeah. One after another. We mentioned Michigan and Vanderbilt. Uh, the Wolverines playing in that collegiate baseball tournament, MLB4. Uh, Cal Poly, Arizona State also there. Minnesota opens. Minnesota's schedule is interesting. It opens at the Angels College Classic 
playing Oregon, Pepperdine, San Diego, and Arizona. In Arizona, it plays the Twins in an exhibition game in Fort Myers, and then 14 straight, quote, home games that it's playing in U.S. Bank Stadium, including the series I'll be up there for, uh, Purdue there as well, as uh, the Big Ten taking on some teams, uh, what, uh, Duke, North Carolina, and NC State there in the Vikings Stadium. So uh, Minnesota taking advantage of being able to play in the football stadium for its baseball games, so we'll get an opportunity to play back at home. Iowa and Ohio State playing in the Snowbird Classic in Florida, Kent State, St. Joseph's, and Pittsburgh there. Uh, What else we got? Uh, Northwestern playing against uh, Nebraska-Omaha and Arizona, so that's a series to watch as well. Anything that we've mentioned there sort of stand out to you, Drew? Uh, No, I think one of the ones we didn't mention was Illinois uh, opening in North Carolina. against, And this is out there. you know, but towards the end of February, they they go to North Carolina and play four or five teams, and then head to the Frisco Classic and have three ranked teams right in a row in that in Texas A and M, Oklahoma State, and UCLA right at the end of February there for their second sort of weekend of the year. I'll get to travel uh, down to Florida as the Boilermakers take on Hofstra there that opening weekend. So I personally am looking forward to yeah. a little bit of. I, Warmer weather. I haven't obviously gone through all the northern teams' schedules on when they play their first home game, but I do know that it seems like it gets earlier and earlier every year. Indiana hosts in school, uh, in-state school Butler mm-hmm. on like February 26th, or yeah. right around give or take a day or so in Bloomington. So, whew, that sounds cold, right? Yeah, <laughs> could be no doubt about that. So uh, these teams get started right away. Uh, as uh, they'll face on face some pretty good teams in that opening weekend, February 14th. We'll have one other podcast to sort of talk about some of those series in more depth. That will drop on February 11th, the first of all our Tuesday podcasts throughout the season. Uh, we'll feature experts that know the Big Ten on also, you know, clearly uh, Big Ten coaches. They were so um, great with us last year in our debut season here with the podcast that we're looking forward to catching up with everybody again this year as well. All right, that'll do it for the debut of 2020. Uh, Thanks a lot for listening. Again, tell a friend. We appreciate that as well, no doubt about it. For Drew Charters, I'm Kyle Charters. This is the Big Baseball Podcast, a production of 1017 The Hammer. You're out!